This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, Ilya Margulis, Senior Manager and Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO First Call Debt Solutions here in Vancouver, will join us to talk about debt and the real people behind all those statistics. Because in the most expensive city in Canada, debt is very real and crosses all socioeconomic lines. And we'll open up our phones, too. In our second hour, Stephen Bennett from Mid-City Plumbers returns with a special guest, to take your calls about problems at your house and how to fix them. No, this has nothing to do with child rearing, by the way. First off, however, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And there's never a bigger consumer story than a wage increase. In this case, it's the minimum wage here in BC that's gone up a buck twenty an hour, effective today. The new number is now thirteen eighty-five an hour, up from twelve sixty-five. Also increasing today is the minimum wage for liquor service, which goes up to twelve seventy an hour. Resident caretakers and live-in camp leaders will also receive a wage boost today. According to the Ministry of Labor, establishing a pathway to a minimum wage of at least $15 an hour is a shared priority between the government and the B.C. Green Party Caucus and is part of their confidence and supply agreement. So by June 2021, two years from today, B.C.'s general minimum wage will be at least $15.20 an hour and the lower liquor server wage will be eliminated. Some of us will be using some of the new or high wages to uh, buy an electric car. At least that's what a new poll indicates. More than half of B.C. motorists are at least considering an electric car as their next vehicle, according to this new poll from Research Company and our friend Mario Canseco. 51% of people who drive their own vehicles were very likely or moderately likely to choose an electric vehicle for themselves or their household as their next buy. Coincidentally, on Wednesday this week, the NDP government passed legislation in Victoria mandating that all new light-duty cars and trucks sold in B.C. be clean energy vehicles by 2040. The province says interest in electric vehicles has been high enough that it had to top up the fund behind its $5,000 subsidy for electric vehicle purchases, and buyers are also eligible for an additional five grand from the feds, too. The poll also found respondents' biggest concerns about electric vehicles. A, the price, 24% saying the price, and exactly the same number, 24% saying they're concerned about becoming stranded somewhere without a charging station nearby, and a lack of charging station in places they normally drive, 23% concerned about that. The poll found that 7 in 10 support the government's idea of transitioning to 100% new electrical vehicles by 2040, but... Only 49% actually believe the goal is achievable. Family fun today is the Japan Market Early Summer Fair. That's happening tomorrow. Gives you and the family a chance to Japanese jump into Japanese culture through music, entertainment, vendors, and demos at the Japan Market Early 
early summer fair. Now, this event is moving outdoors this year to Robson Square, which means more room to roam around and more great vendors to check out. Lots of time, too, to learn about health and wellness from people who know what they're talking about. Enjoy lots of Japanese eats, shop for crafts and products and more tomorrow, June 2nd, 11 to 6 at Robson Square, right in the heart of downtown Vancouver. And the weather forecast for tomorrow, more sunshine and a high of 21. And just a reminder here, in case you missed it on Thursday, a ban on backyard burning began Thursday along BC's south coast. The recent spell of hot, dry weather has prompted the province to ban the burning of small piles of debris throughout the coastal fire center. It's a Category 2 ban, and it includes private and public lands and prohibits burning grass and piles of materials, along with fireworks and those burning barrels, too. Campfires are still allowed unless there's a local ban in place, and we're not aware of any of those this weekend. The ban is in effect until further notice. Oh, and if you decide to mess with it and get caught, the fine will be $1,150 for your first offense. So now you know. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at a few more as the show goes along. But coming right up, we welcome back Ilya Margulis from BDO First Call Debt Solution, who's here to take your calls and to talk about solving debt problems for beleaguered Vancouverites. Welcome back to the program this nice-looking Saturday afternoon, the 1st of June. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by Ilya Margulis. Mr. Margulis is a senior manager and licensed insolvency trustee with BDO First Call Debt Solutions. Welcome back, Ilya. It's been a while. It's good to see you again. Thanks, Sterling. Good, good, good afternoon. Good to see you. Well, it's good to have you with us. Now, home base for you is the Langley office, but BDO First Call has, what, six or eight offices around Metro Vancouver. You happen to park your hat mostly in Langley, but you do business and go wherever you need it. Yeah, we'll go to wherever our clients are. Uh, we've got at least eight offices across the Lower Mainland, and uh, either myself or one of our team members will be there to meet with people anywhere they need to be met. Mm-hmm. And also within earshot of the broadcast today, you have BDO First Call Debt Solution offices in the Nanaimo and in Victoria, too. That's right. Okay, so let's talk. We were told, and I promised our listeners, we were going to talk about the real faces of debt. This is Canada's most expensive city. And as I mentioned in my opening remarks, Ilya, debt crosses all socioeconomic lines. It doesn't matter where you live or what your postal code is or any of those details. If you're having financial problems, you're as hooped as the person on the other side of town. Talk to us about the real faces behind debt. Uh, Yes, Sterling. I see the real faces of those impacted by debt on a daily basis. The people behind the statistics, I can attest, that can happen and does happen to people from all demographics mm-hmm. and all income levels. Yeah, I've uh, worked with people that make $12,000 in a year, just pension or disability income. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with people that bring in $250,000 uh, in income in a year. Uh, issues arise in life that create debt problems and people from every sort of statistic out there uh, do need help sometimes. So all of these all of these people from every neighborhood in the city who find themselves in the same debt pickle barrel, what common denominators do they have, Ilya? What, what you notice based on your years of experience talking to all of these people, where did they go wrong or what didn't they do enough of? Uh, really, there is no common denominator. Okay. Uh, it's usually a some significant life event 
that has led to these problems occurring. It could be job loss. Mm-hmm. It could be a health issue. It could be the death of a loved one. Uh, it could be addiction. It could be something like a uh, bookkeeper making mistakes on tax returns years back and those coming back to haunt a self-employed person. Uh, it's really everybody from every kind of demographic, and it's often an unexpected event right. that has led to it. So yes, I guess that would be the common denominator. Uh, but in terms of where those individuals come from, uh, it's just so very different depending on who that person is and what their individual problems might be. Yeah, well, it's interesting you would talk about unexpected events because the Moneris people have done yet another poll. They do one every year, and, it, and the results are disturbingly familiar year to year, and I think the only difference is it gets a little more extreme year to year. And this is that number, and I don't know what the BC number is, but you do. But basically, as across the country, as I remember the poll a couple of weeks ago, the number was close to 50% of Canadian households anywhere in the country, let alone here in Canada's most expensive city, these people are saying a a problem, an unexpected twist in the plot involving more than $200 could create what they term as near chaos in their homes and in their lives. That's not a lot of money to be put off your game by, is it? No, it's not at all. And as you said, for Canada overall, that's $200 for half the people. In B.C., it's basically a few dollars. Well, it's not even 200. It's just any yeah, amount. 49% of British Columbians are living paycheck to paycheck. That means they don't have any extra money to deal with fluctuations in debt payments or any unexpected financial events happening. Uh, and the problem really boils down to this. In Canada overall, there's $1.79 of debt for every dollar earned. Mm. But then you look at BC, and that's $2.42 sense of debt for every dollar earned. It's that dramatic it's a that difference? It's that dramatic based on a recent CMHC survey. Oh my gosh, that's, that is, that's serious. I mean, owing, uh, uh, for every buck you make, you owe a buck 79, except no, it's for every buck you make, you owe $2.42 in debt if you right. live in Metro Vancouver? In, in BC in general, but wow. yes. So um, when we're trying to uh, to, to, to set up some kind of order in our lives in order to avoid these minor catastrophes that come along, I guess the most, again, a common denominator that you would suggest or recommend in speaking with a lot of these people is putting together a basic budget, right? That's right. And it's important for everybody to plan for unexpected things. Uh, one, everyone has to control what their day-to-day costs are. And the only way to do that is setting out limits in the beginning and tracking where you are against them. Mm-hmm. And those budgets do need to include savings. Uh, there's an old adage that says, pay yourself first. Right. Treat savings as a bill and set aside money every month. Uh, you know that you might need an oil change every three or four months. Well, you should be putting away a third of that oil change every single month into a savings account so that money is there for so, that oil change. And so what you're, what you're suggesting, of course, is the creation of some kind of floating emergency fund, a little, a little uh, bit of money tucked away and set to the side so when, this, when you need new tires, we're going to go into Ontario this summer, we're driving. We can't drive on those tires. Well, there's a few hundred dollars that doesn't exist today. And it's not just an emergency fund. Uh, Savings accounts are free with most banks. It doesn't hurt to have multiple savings accounts. Right. You have your actual uh, emergency fund, then you have your tire fund. 
you have your car repair fund, you have um, a vacation fund, whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt to have multiple streams going into savings. And while you're trying to organize all of this, I would assume a lot of people are trying as hard as they can to honor their debt obligations. But that, in a lot of cases, Ilya, simply means making the minimum payment, doesn't it? That's right. And when you're making minimum payments on debt, you're maybe covering the interest in those debt payments. Uh, You're not making any headway on the principal. And so that means you're sort of treading water. Except, of course, you're, what you are doing, and this is terribly important to some people, what you are doing is preserving your credit rating. You are being shown on the credit by the credit people as making your minimum payments on time every month. So as far as your, your number is concerned, it still looks okay, even though that's the very best you can do. Do people get preoccupied with credit ratings to... I want to say a dangerous point, but that sounds a little extreme. But do they get a little too hung up on that? Uh, People do, and it sort of provides a false sense of security. Yeah, They think they're doing fantastic. Um, And yes, they are keeping up to date with the payments. But what happens when one of these life events we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. pops up and suddenly you're not able to make that minimum payment? You've got all of this debt that's built up over time, and you can't make even that minimum payment at that point, and immediately your credit score gets shot. Uh, so it makes sense to start thinking about coming up with a solution to that debt before the problems escalate. Well, let's talk about that, because on the website, debtsolutions.bdo.ca, and it's a good one, friends. It's a huge website with a ton of resources and an opportunity to, well, read through it and find yourself in there. And and one of the pieces that you've got on the website is signs of financial trouble. This would be the early warning uh, marker uh, page. Uh, and, and and so if you're making only the minimum payment, well, then you're doing, you're doing what's required of you. But if you find yourself using one credit card or a line of credit, credit to pay off another credit card, now you're starting to circle inwards and just keep your, your uh, spiraling, and it's not going to go up, is it? That's right. That's, again, another old adage, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going around in circles, and uh, we see people going to a payday loan type place right? Uh, in order to get enough money to pay off a credit card. Well, that payday loan is an even higher interest rate than uh, the credit card was. Is that right? Because uh, credit cards are, what, 18 19%? So payday loan places payday are more? Payday loans, you're looking at probably 50% in interest. Ouch. And on top of that, there's renewal fees, there's uh, admin fees, and all those fees add up. Uh, and when people go to a payday loan place like that, the thing that they're thinking is, well, I just need to make ends meet until sure. the next paycheck. Right. But the reality is, what's going to be different on that next paycheck that you'll be able to pay back the loan and make ends meet? The truth is probably nothing, and you'll end up having to renew that uh, payday loan, renew, 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 each time you're paying the admin fee. So the principal isn't going anywhere. Right. So, And I'm looking down to the list, and you've just uh, touched on three or four of them. You're, you're right, uh, right here with me. One, another one, using cash advances on one credit card to pay off another. No money left by payday. You just mentioned that. And that does happen. If, if, if the, the, the numbers that you've just quoted us from this CMHC poll, and CMHC does some pretty thorough homework, if those numbers are true, a lot of Vancouver, especially Vancouver households, were, and I know gas is off a little bit today, but come on. It's ridiculous to pay to try and live in this town and just keep up 
Just keep up. So uh, if you're if there's no money left by payday, you're not the only household in Vancouver going through this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are. And a common uh, issue that people might have uh, is that they're used to having a significant income. Mm-hmm. Then retirement comes about. Uh, income reduces to just whatever the pension income that they have uh, is. And that income is usually significantly lower than what their employment income might have been. And that uh, they're not quite prepared to uh, reduce their standard of living to accommodate the reality of the income change. Exactly. So the costs continue. Uh, Meanwhile, gas prices keep increasing. Sure. And how do you meet those expenses when the time comes? Uh, People end up relying on credit. But then there just isn't that ability to get out of that hole. Uh, beyond those minimum payments in a lot of cases. Receiving calls from creditors or a collection agency, that should be the red flag. That if start if that is starting to happen, if you've noticed a sort of a diminishing scenario in your financial capabilities and the, you feel the walls starting to close in and you start getting these unsolicited calls and letters, that should be the red flag that that a lot of people respond to. And yet, Ilya, I, it's disturbing that a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, really, the ideal point to respond to problems is uh, doing it before you get to that point. When you realize you're making just those minimum payments, uh, that's when you look at trying to get some help. Because the reality is, as I said before, if you're making just those minimum payments, you're treading water. Right. Uh, so you want to try no to get ahead of it. No progress is being achieved. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, then, uh, once again, though, there's a reluctance, and, and we've we only got a little bit before the news, and we're going to open up the phones and, and turn you over to the tender mercies of our listeners, but there's a reluctance on the part of a lot of people, even though some of these indicators that we've just identified, they they still are reluctant to come forward and go, look, I am sinking in quicksand, it is no fun, and I need professional help right now. Uh, there's Pride gets in the way, among other things. It's pride, it's embarrassment. People come in and say to me, oh, well, you must think I'm the worst person on the face of the planet. The reality is no. We fully recognize that people have problems that come up in life. Our job as trustees and my team's job is to listen to you, to build a relationship, understand where you're coming from. Uh, Because we really do understand that debt can affect you both personally and professionally. And we work to get behind that debt. We understand that there are so many different causes of debt and that dealing with debt can be so stressful and emotional. Uh, And we build those relationships and try to understand who you are and work forward to a solution that works for everybody. You're not there to scold or judge. You're there to help. And that that's what a lot of people expect. They expect a ton wag and a finger wag and a, and a, and a lecture. And they're going to get a professional who can give them a hand to get out of a serious problem. That's right. When somebody comes into my office, the first thing I'll say is, tell me why you're here. Exactly. Welcome back to the program this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. In studio with me is Ilya Margulis. Mr. Margulis is a senior manager and licensed insolvency trustee with BDO First Call Debt Solutions with eight offices in Metro Vancouver and a couple more on the island, one in Nanaimo and one in Victoria. And Ilya, just before we uh, took the news break, we were talking about what people don't get when they go to a BDO First Call uh, uh, office uh, for a consultation with you or one of your teammates. They don't get lectured to. They don't get scolded like a school child. A lot of people are 
for a number of reasons, intimidated by sitting down with a professional like yourself, not the least of which is, uh, well, he's going he's gonna to tell me what a moron I am because look what I've done, and B, how much is this guy going to cost me? So help me out here. Uh, first of all, Sterling, um, our consultations are completely free with no further obligation. Um, but anybody that comes into us isn't going to be judged in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they get to meet with either myself or uh, one of our other trustees or one of our sen- senior administrators. Either way, it's going to be somebody that's keenly aware of various solutions that are out there and is there to help you and to understand where you're coming from. Uh, so walk us through what happens. You said the initial consultation, to sit down with a pro and find out exactly where you're at Really, here are my numbers. It's a horror show, but here's my life. So what can you do? That Those numbers get presented to you because, as you said, the first thing we do is listen to you. That's right. So that initial meeting is probably about an hour long. Uh, you come into the meeting room. Uh, we sit down and just say, tell us how we can help. Okay. Uh, we ask a variety of questions, just trying to get an understanding as to where you're coming from. Uh, once we've got that and have done some math and go through a bunch of different information, we present to you the options that are available to you. Okay, uh, now that, that's a bit of a surprise to, to a lot of people because uh, they figure, look, oh man, if I have to sit down with an insolvency trustee, there's only one door out of that office and that's Bankruptcy Avenue. So, all right, hit me with the bad stuff. And you're here to tell us, no, that's, that's not the only option. In fact, that's, that's the last option we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'll often have people sit down and they'll say, I'm here to file bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, well, let's hold on. Let's go through the information. What brought you in? Um, and then once I've got that understanding, I'm, e- I'm able to go through all of the options that are, are, that are available. Some of those options are things that we are not going to provide you with. Uh, or it's things that we are not going to help you, but we're going to point you in the direction you can go. Uh, the options that we'll generally go through include, uh, you know, going to a bank and getting consolidation loan if that option might be available for you. Okay, something. And for some people, a consolidation might be the ticket. Now, it's not going to work for everyone, but it, it's an option that maybe in the in the panic with these letters and phone calls, people. They just don't even consider. That's right. I'm past the point of no return. For some people, it might be something as simple as working out a budget. Right. Uh, In other cases, where some of the other options aren't available, then we look at the more formal options that we deal with. Those options would be, yes, either a bankruptcy, which for a lot of people really is the option of last resort, Mm -hmm. Or the other thing that we do, which is consumer proposals. Okay, so what's the difference between a consumer proposal and a bankruptcy? So the biggest thing about a consumer proposal is it's sort of the step before a bankruptcy. It's you saying to your creditors, look, I'd rather avoid filing a bankruptcy, so I'm going to make an offer to you where you're going to receive uh, a slightly better return than what you might have received from a bankruptcy. That return is going to be definitely less than paying the debt in full, or Mm -hmm. in most cases, less than paying the debt in full, depending on what your circumstances might be. Uh, But you're spreading those payments over a period of up to five years. So it becomes a very manageable payment. And in a lot of cases, that manageable payment is actually significantly less than what just the minimum payments on your debt might have been. 
Whereas because they're accepting a lower uh, uh, outstanding amount in the first place. Yes. Okay. And if you had continued making those minimum payments for, say, those same five years to the credit cards, the principal of those credit cards might still be exactly the same as what it is today. Mm-hmm. Whereas with that consumer proposal, you're probably making a much lower monthly payment, but at the end of those five years, the entire debt is gone. So if I sit down, uh, if someone comes to you and says, I heard you on the radio, and uh, you sound like a pretty decent chap, and I am in a pickle, and here, here are my numbers. So they're going to take a look at the, the consumer proposal. Now, if, if, if I have heard you correctly, then uh, I don't have to go bankrupt. Maybe there's plan A here first. Maybe I can pitch the creditors to take a few uh, cents on the dollar rather than nothing. And everybody benefits to a certain degree. Who pitches the creditors? Do I have to send letters to the bank and the car company and everybody else I owe money to? No. So that's done completely by the trustee. Uh, by our office. So what we'll do is we'll come up with a plan for with you uh, based on the amount that you can afford to pay, and we will make that offer to the creditors on your behalf. Okay. Uh, now, I should make one caveat to that. Consumer proposals or bankruptcies do not cover the car loans. They only go against unsecured debts. Oh. So that's your credit cards, your lines of credit. What, uh, about, uh, what about overdue taxes? Do they get covered? They do. Overdue taxes get covered as well. So uh, car loans, though, are exempt. Uh, anything that's secured uh, remains in place. Oh, because they can repossess the exactly. car. Exactly. Right, okay. So with those kinds of things, as long as you continue making payments on the debt, you keep the asset. If you don't make payments on the asset, then the bank can take that back. Right, so okay. Those contractual rights remain in place, essentially. Okay, gotcha. 604-280-9898. If you'd like to jump in on this, uh, Ilya Margulis, Senior Manager and Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO First Call Debt Solutions, back in studio with us. Nice to have you back, too, by the way. Uh, 604-280-9898. Any questions about this? Perhaps you know someone going through this who is about to jump off a cliff and somehow or another you want to talk that person down. Good good, good idea. Good, Great intentions. Uh, but if you have any calls or questions uh give us a give us a buzz nigel in surrey is on the line and we'll start there nigel good afternoon hi nigel afternoon i have a question concerning cpp and rrsps suppose as an example i have twenty thousand dollar contribution in my cpp and fifty thousand dollars in the rrsp if the rrsp is dissolved i will owe probably another twenty thousand dollars in taxes how would those assets be handled in a bankruptcy? I get the 50000 in an RRSP, but I don't understand 20000 in a CPP. What is that? Canada Pension Plan. Yeah, no, I know, what, I know what CPP is, but is, is, there, is there a fund? Do people uh, roll money? To, I, I'm unaware uh, of a CPP fund, uh, that's all. Yeah, Nigel, CPPs, uh, to my understanding, they're fully controlled by the government. And you only get your monthly payment from them. Right. So you don't really have access to those funds. But, but let's deal with the RSP because that's yeah. a legitimate question. And thanks for asking it, Nigel. Is that if – you, if you have money in an RSP and you, you, you're in financial trouble – is one of the solutions. Do you Are you a trustee obliged to say, well, first you take your money out of your RSP and you pay your debts, and then we'll take a look at what you got left? Not at all. And that's one of the key things that I want to make clear. Uh, we strongly generally discourage people from using RSP savings to pay debt uh, because RSPs generally 
are exempt from seizure in a bankruptcy scenario. They're protected. Except for contributions made in the year before the financial troubles really started. Okay. So uh, if uh, somebody was making significant contributions to their RSP uh, and then immediately filed for bankruptcy, then there's a problem with those contributions. But anything contributed years ago is fully protected from your creditors in a bankruptcy scenario. Oh, that is interesting. So, And yet, and I'm sure this happens to you a lot, you, you see people who have tried so hard to keep up. Because Canadians are pretty honorable people. If, we're in, if we owe somebody money, generally speaking, we're going to do our damnedest to pay them back. That's, that's the way we are. And people have exhausted their RSPs trying desperately to keep up to their creditors. Yes. And they didn't have to do that. Uh, Parliament, in their wisdom, at some point in history, uh, decided to make those assets protected because they do not want people hurting their future retirement in order to basically pay creditors today. Uh, that retirement savings is there for a reason, and it's there to live off of in someone's retirement. Is it? I'm going to go Dave's call in Surrey in just a second, but uh, some of these wolves that are working for credit companies uh, that are um, they, they go after you and they threaten you and uh, it, it would it and I've heard this that because you know, they do things that are illegal they they try to rattle you and scare the money out of you one way or another and uh, advice to cash in your RSP to get some of that debt repaid has been suggested by some of these people illegally or not they do it they, they provide that advice um and that advice is never uh, or is, is not necessarily to your benefit. Uh, the thing to remember is in most cases, those, those debt collectors are not your friend. Yeah, of course. They're there to collect as much money as possible from you. They're going to say, you know, um, cash in your RSP, go borrow mm-hmm. money from relatives, right. uh, drain your savings, whatever it might be, anything Uh to pay your creditors back. And give them a commission in the process. And give them a commission in the process, sure. Yeah. That's where you know people are best off calling an advisor, calling a licensed insolvency trustee and saying, what are my options? Sure. And what exactly, what's the law on this? I mean, this is there's the Insolvency Act. There is legislation. There's no debtor's prison anymore. Charles Dickens has been dead for a long time. We don't put people in jail for being in debt anymore. I've lost count of the number of times that people uh, say, am I going to get arrested today? Mm-hmm. No, no, you will not. Uh, it is not a crime to have debt. Right, even though some people will try and make you feel that way. Dave and Surrey, thank you for waiting, sir. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. My question is about uh, the consumer proposal that if somebody has, you know, two, three lines of credit and uh, two, three credit cards, he owes money, but mm-hmm. he wants to keep one line of credit, uh, but he wants to get rid of the, the card. So does he have to get rid of everything and uh, start everything new? Or if he want, doesn't want to... You know, uh, give away one line of credit. He want to use that, and he want to keep that. But the rest, he can uh, do the consumer proposal. Hi, Dave. Do it uh, in any sort of formal financial restructuring. Every single creditor that's out there has to be treated exactly the same way. So, unfortunately, you can't sort of pick and choose. Uh, everybody does get lumped together and gets treated the same. 
Now, do all the creditors have to agree uh, to this proposal that you make on behalf of the client who's in having problems? You, you, you get their numbers, you do the math, you come up with a formula that the individual can afford. Then you approach the creditor saying, okay, here's the best we can do for you. Do they, is it, does it have to be unanimous before they get approved? It doesn't have to be unanimous at all. Uh, with a consumer proposal, each creditor gets one vote for every dollar that they're owed as of the date of filing. Uh, you need 50.1% in dollar value to accept. As long as the majority has voted yes, the rest of them are bound by it whether they like it or not. From the moment that the proposal is filed, a stay of proceedings applies. So that means creditors aren't allowed to contact the individual that owes the money. Right. Any future communication has to flow through the proposal administrator or so the trustee's office. So no more letters, office. no more screeching phone calls, none of that. Yeah, and the reality is it doesn't stop instantly just because it does take time for the notifications to make their way through. But you through. get told what to say. Exactly. At that point, we just tell you, if somebody does call, tell them to call the trustee's office. Right. And at that point, communication generally does stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, as long as the majority has voted yes, the rest are bound by it, whether they like it or not. Uh, if the majority is voting no, that vote against will generally come with a counteroffer. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, we'll get that counteroffer and call you and say, Bank A has asked for a little bit more. Here. A little bit more sure. here. Yeah. Uh, do you want to accept what they've countered with? Can you afford what they've countered with, or would you like to come back with another counteroffer? And at the end of the day, the vast, vast majority of offers will eventually succeed. But to go back to Dave's question, it's a package. The package, your debt package is either dealt with and approved and you get a, a proposal or a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. It, you can't pick and you can't break things up yeah. inside the package. And, and, and you don't get to keep an active line of credit while you're getting that process started. Right. Okay. Uh, the website, friends, is debtsolutions.bdo. It's a terrific website, and all of the people, including Ilya Margulis, our guest this afternoon, are on the website. So are all the contact points, addresses, and stuff. Ilya works out of of the Langley office, but can meet anyone, anywhere, at any time. So, And all of your colleagues are the same way. It's a very flexible organization. DebtSolutions.bdo.ca. Ilya, good to see you again. Thanks for this. We'll catch up to you again in a few weeks. It's been a pleasure. And once again, our thanks to Ilya Margulis, licensed insolvency trustee from BDO First Call Debt Solutions, for another very helpful visit. And thanks for your calls, too. We'll leave our phone lines open in our next hour as we welcome back Stephen Bennett from Mid-City Plumbers and HVAC specialist Bobby Watt to talk about fixing the problems at your house. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer Ben Dooley wants to know, are playgrounds too boring? Thanks, Sterling. More and more playgrounds in Canada are removing sand and adding rubber bottom surfaces. It's a welcome move for parents like Edmonton mom Jill Foots. One of the things I like about this park is I do like the rubber flooring because it's, it's comfortable for parents and kids. The kids can run around in their bare feet and you don't worry about them getting stuff from the sand in their feet. But are they playable? That's the question Susan Harrington wants more people to think about. She's a professor in the School of Architecture and Landscape Architecture at the University of British Columbia and has spent more than a decade studying children's playgrounds. And there's no play value really with rubber as there is with sand or even fiber or wood chips. She believes modern play spaces are too boring. She says playgrounds built over the last couple of decades 
tend to be lower to the ground, made of plastic and metal and all very similar. They're concerned with safety. So it's a perceived safety. They're really not safer. Right? There's not. There's never been proof. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Well, thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. The union representing Canada's performers and directors is launching a hotline for artists to report incidents of sexual harassment or violence. ACTRA and the Directors Guild of Canada say the line will offer support from human resources company Mono Chappelle. The organization say members can call 24-7 to report workplace-related harassment and access resources such as confidential counsel. They say the joint initiative is part of the Canadian entertainment industry's response to the recent flood of sexual misconduct allegations. And here in Hollywood North, we're absolutely swamped with business this summer, with feature films, movies of the week, and TV shows all going full out. There was no winning ticket for the $50 million jackpot in last night's Lotto Max draw. There were also two Max Million prizes of a million bucks each up for grabs, but again, no winners. So the jackpot for the new Lotto Max Tuesday draw, that's coming up on June 4th, will be $55 million, and there will be four Max Million prizes. Oh, and then there's this sporty story. An online ticket resale site says Game 1 of the NBA Finals was its third best-selling NBA Finals ever. eBay-owned StubHub says sales via its site outpaced those in 2016 and 2017 when the Golden State Warriors played LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. The most expensive ticket for the Toronto Raptors matchup with the Warriors on Thursday night, one ticket... $23,896. Now, tomorrow, game two, the top price for a ticket for tomorrow afternoon, $10,000 so far. StubHub says the 2019 playoffs have already outsold last year's finals by 57%. It says tickets for Toronto home games account for 70% of its NBA final total sales to date. 28000 bucks for a ticket to game one. It was a great game one. However, that's a lot of dough for a ticket. As is 10000 tomorrow. Neither, neither would be affordable for me. The Raptors will be on my TV tomorrow, however. That is our program for this hour. We'll take a break for the news. Andrew Ferreira and Ben Dooley will be back with me. And we'll have Stephen Bennett and Bobby Watt on the program. Coming up in our next hour, phone lines will be wide open. And all we want to know is what's wrong at your house. And they'll have lots of suggestions on how to fix it. That's coming right up. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.